The following podcast is from Doxa Church in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org. Father, we come to your word this morning. And uh, I know I'm conscious of my need for you, but... uh, Even me saying that's kind of ridiculous because if I truly was as conscious of my need for you in this moment, I would be undone. So, Father, I pray that as we look at this passage this morning, as we look at your word, that you would cause each of us to be undone. Maybe there's some of us in this room that we don't even know what that means. That sounds like silly talk. We've been self-sufficient for so long to think of uh, wearing need for somebody else or something else as a badge of honor sounds uh, ridiculous. But Father, I pray that you would even tear those walls down this morning. Make us aware of you and our need for you and your all-sufficient power and grace to us. In this your son's name we pray. So, um, this is our second week in our series on the book of Jonah. Um, and, and again, like I mentioned last week, it's one of those books like that's just owned that you need your table of contents to find. So, as, we, as you, you turn there or you're getting ready to turn there, it's okay if you have to flip through your Bible until you, until you find it. In fact, it's going to be hard to find. It's just four chapters. So, about two thirds of the way back. So, no shame here in using your table of contents. It's okay. About two-thirds of the way back there, hidden in some, in some uh, minor prophets, but it's there. But it's a famous story, even though it's a hard book to find. It's one of the most famous stories in all the Bible, right? Uh, how many here, you've heard of Jonah and the whale, or Jonah the big fish, or Jonah, like, you know the story of Jonah. Anybody? Uh, how many here have seen it on VeggieTales or some other cartoon? How many here have uh, seen it on a, depicted on a felt board? Anybody? Yeah, old school going back with the felt boards, absolutely. I call it the felt boardification of a Bible story. That is a word now, Kate. Uh, that is where, like, uh, some out, the Bible is full of some outlandish stories, right? I mean, uh, Moses walks to the, 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 the sea and it opens up and they walk through on dry land. Joshua's out fighting with the army and the sun is up in the, the sky and it says that the sun stood still until they finished fighting the battle. Like, it's full of some crazy stories. And not the least of which is the story of a prophet who lived in the, the nation of Israel who God told him to go to a, this city called Nineveh and he went the opposite way. He was on the boat, a storm came, they threw him overboard and a fish swallowed him, okay? This is a little bit ridiculous. And then not only did the fish swallow him, so like, you know, like he's literally fish food, but the fish didn't eat him, it didn't digest him. He's sitting in the belly of this fish for three days and then the fish spits him back onto dry land and then Jonah goes and finishes the deal. And not only does he finish the deal, but he goes to the city. I'm cheating ahead to Cam's part next week. He goes to the city of Nineveh, preaches a sermon. The whole city repents. Sorry, Cam. I just finished, you know, you're, yeah, anyway. Uh, Cheated ahead. Maybe y'all all read ahead and you've heard the story anyway. And, and like, and then there's a crazy, at the very kind of ending, if it's not crazy enough, this like flower or plant grows overnight big enough to give Jonah shade, and the worm comes, eats the plant, the plant dies, and the story ends with Jonah complaining. 
It's kind of an outlandish, crazy story. The problem is that some of us, we see it so often depended on veggie tales and nothing wrong with veggie tales, depended on a felt board, that it sort of becomes sort of like Christian mythology to us, right? It becomes sort of like a Cinderella or Rumpelstiltskin or, uh, or something like that because what happens is sometimes, and I asked people last week, how many people grew up in church or around church? So the vast majority of us here have that sort of background, that we hear these stories enough that we begin to look at, maybe we were taught like the Bible is sort of this book of morality. It's a book full of people who live lives and we sort of, sort of learn from their mistakes or follow in their example. Lord, it sort of looks like Aesop's fable, Aesop's fables. You guys still teach those? Yeah, like the, they, they drop the... The stones and the jar and all that stuff. Like, you know, like it's sort of, sort of morals that we're supposed to learn from it. But that's not what the Bible is about. Because if, if, if you haven't read this thing, like the Bible is full of some really despicable characters. I mean, this book is called the book of Jonah, and Jonah is the least likable person in the whole book, really. Jonah sort of almost, he, he, this, this one chapter today is his one shining moment. The rest of it, he's just kind of a jerk, He's disobeying. He has this one like shining moment here and then he's gonna go end up on the other side when God creates a, a miraculous revival in the city that he goes to, he's gonna go about complaining. But see, this, the point of this is the Bible is not a story primarily about the people that we read about. It's not a story of, mor- of morals or rules for us to follow. This, the Bible is a story primarily about God. And the book of Jonah is a story primarily about God. Because I don't know about you, but out of all the people in this book that I identify with, I most identify with Jonah. I don't know how long you've been a Christian or been around church, but I don't have a sterling record to my name. I jump, I go to a, a conference or a particular service and I'm emotionally moved and I like to hear what the, the preacher said that morning and it just kind of gets me and I'm excited and I jump out of the gates at a sprint. But sort of like a lot of diets I've been on, check back with me a few days later. And it's just remnants that are left. Check back a few weeks later, it doesn't even seem like it ever happened. My life, my Christian life, is a story of a lot of fits and starts. I don't know what yours is like. And that's what we see going on in this book. And that's why at the end of last week's sermon, we said, I am Jonah. And for those of us who say, I am Jonah, we have some bad news and some great news today. The bad news for you and for me is God is after us. That's the story of this book. The good news is, the great news is God is after us this morning. See, when Jonah was growing up and prophesying back in Israel, the lines between good and evil, black and white, God's people and those that weren't, were very clearly drawn. drawn. The Assyrian Empire, of which the city of Nineveh was the largest city, was an evil empire. They did not worship the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the one true God that the Jews worshiped. The empire stretched from modern-day Egypt to southeastern Turkey to Iran. 
And they got there. They got to such, it was the largest, most powerful empire the world had yet seen to this point. And they got to that point because they had a powerful army. They had these giant bows, powerful bows that they used. They had battering rams, which is a new invention. And they had archers on horseback, which is amazing. But the thing that was their most powerful weapon was a new weapon in warfare at the time. And that was sheer terror. They were a cruel, barbarous kind of military power. They, when, they, uh, when they captured prisoners, they mutilated them. They would take them out of, their, of where they lived and resettle the whole population of the land they conquered into a new land. They would rejoice in the butchery that they were about to inflict on their victims. We have pictures of prisoners being skinned, when I say pictures, like carvings of prisoners being skinned alive, stabbed, beheaded, impaled on poles, their hands or feet or tongues chopped off and their eyes put out. Then the barefoot and malnourished survivors would leave the city with all they had slung over their backs, march to Nineveh or some other city on foot. Some of them may be drafted into the army to conquer other lands. We have, a, conquer, we have a, a carving of a king relaxing in, a, in an arbor in his garden. He lies on a couch being fanned by slaves, listening to a harp player. He's drinking a bowl of wine while his, king, his queen sits in a chair at his feet and an enemy's head hangs on a tree as casual decor, decoration. And it was this empire that for years had been an enemy of Israel, leading exiles away, bit by bit, away from the promised land. And in a few years after Jonah would go to visit Nineveh, the capital city of his home country, Israel, the city of Samaria, would fall. And they would take almost all of the inhabitants out of that land and take them and resettle them into Assyria. Nineveh and the rest of the Assyrian Empire were violent, they were brutal, and they were opposed to the one true God. They deserved judgment upon them. And that's why the idea of going to Nineveh was so repulsive to Jonah. It was repulsive for a couple of reasons. One, if you're going to go to a city that's full of a powerful military force like that, and you're going to tell them that yet in 40 days, your God, which is a different God than their God, is going to overthrow the city, what could very well happen to you? You could easily be killed, right? I mean, he has heads hanging in his garden as decorations, the king does. Like, they could do anything to you if you're going to that city. So he's going to a possible death. And he hates it because he's going to the city Nineveh because, see, he could stay in his homeland of Israel and prophesy that Nineveh is going to fall like some other prophets did. But God asked him to do something that he had asked and told no other prophet to do, and that is leave your home country and go to the city of Nineveh and tell them yet in 40 days you're going to be overthrown. And Jonah didn't want to do that not only because he was scared and he might die, but because he knew that God was sending him to that city because there was still a hope that if they heard the message, they'd repent and they would turn and God would have mercy on them. We know that because he tells God exactly that in chapter four, which we're gonna cover in two weeks. But God had something else in mind than just the mission of speaking judgment and possible mercy to the city of Nineveh. See, God was after the heart of Jonah. 
See, there's two groups of people, or two, one group of people and one person here in this story that are far from God. And it sort of reminds us of a story, a parable that Jesus told in the New Testament of the, prod, of the, sorry, of the prodigal son. The city of Nineveh is far from God. They're a brutal, wicked, violent people who oppose, who worship other gods and oppose the God of Christianity. And see, in this time, in this area that they're in, each sort of city or each maybe even sort of family would worship a God or they might worship a multiple, multitude of gods. And what would happen is, like, if your army is coming against my army, you would worship your God and sacrifice to your God, and I'd worship to my God, sacrifice to my God, and whichever army won, we saw that God as being mightier and more powerful. And so that's why we see, like last week, when the, they're in the, uh, the boat, all the, all, the sol- all the soldiers, all the sailors were all praying to their own gods. And they asked Jonah, pray, pray to your God, and maybe your God will show up, because our God isn't showing up. And so you had all these sort of, like, fake gods going after each other. But so, and so Nineveh was worshiping all these other gods, and, and they were barbarous and violent and going all the opposite way. And they were, it was obvious to the Jews that they did not follow after the one true God. And therefore, they deserved punishment because they were worshiping somebody else other than their creator. There's another person here in the story that's far from God. And that's a man who was a Jew, a member of God's covenant people by birth, who not only was he a Jew, but he was a prophet who had prophesied, and what he prophesied came true in the, in the nation of Israel. And yet when God t- calls him to do something, when God commands him to do something, he doesn't want to go that way. He wants to go the opposite way. You see, God wasn't just pursuing the hard hearts and worship of vain idols by the Ninevites. He was after the hard heart and worship of vain idols in Jonah's heart. Namely, Jonah's own self-righteousness and his sense of entitlement by being a Jew. And probably his own record of good works. So if you think about it, if, you're, if he's thinking about the the city of Nineveh getting mercy, they didn't deserve it at all. And he was a Jew. And he was a generally law-abiding, rule-following, God-fearing man who also had given his life to be a prophet. If anybody deserved something from God, he did. And see, those of us in this room, we probably fall generally into one of those camps. Some of us are following down a path. It's very obvious to the people around us and to ourselves. We are worshiping another God. We don't claim Christianity. We don't think it's true. We think it's a bunch of fables. Or maybe we think it might be true and we don't have any interest in it. We're going to go run the exact opposite direction. We're worshiping another God. We're going in the other direction. And God comes with a message to you this morning and me this morning if I... All of us who are in that camp, there is certain judgment that hangs over our heads because he is the one and true and holy God. He made this whole world that we live in. He made the very air that you are breathing. The Bible says he upholds the world by the word of his power. If he were to 
at this moment, pulled back from a moment, a touch of holding this world together, all the molecules and atoms that make up this existence. He were to pull back his power at the very heart, the base of it all, where we can't even see what's holding it all together. If he were to pull back his hand at any given moment, it would just disappear, poof, vanish. He made you by his hand for himself. And he will pursue you. He is coming after you. He doesn't want you for himself or for yourself to pursue worship of vain idols. What do you worship? You know what worship means? It means to ascribe worth or value to something. It means you build your life around something. I want you to think about this moment. What do you build your life around? If you don't know how to answer that, let me ask you this question. What, if it doesn't go right this morning, ruins your day? What if it doesn't go right today or goes a different direction than you want to? You become angry and undone and you cannot stand it. You get, your whole day, your whole week is ruined. It's broken. That's what you worship. And he is coming after your heart. It is worthless for you to worship empty and vain idols. And he is a jealous God who will not allow it. But then there are some of us in this room who, we've grown up around church, around Christianity. We live pretty good lives. Maybe at work when you compare your life to the people around you or at, at maybe you this morning when you're, driving, when you're driving out of your driveway and driving down your street and you passed all the cars that are still in their driveway, you know what I'm saying, or the people who are out cutting their grass and you're like, heathen, 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 I'm going to church, I love God, you, you are lost, you are far away, I am close. Or maybe at school you compare your life to the students around you. And yeah, you, 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 know, you kind of stumble and fall, but the, the lives of the, compared to the lives of the students around you, you are nailing this thing. You are giving up a lot for God. There's a lot of Friday nights that you're sitting around Christians at a Christian pizza party instead of out partying and having fun. There's a lot of nights when you're sleeping alone in bed and you know, like, you're like, God, I'm giving this up for you. And what happens is that after long enough we do that, we sort of start to think, God owes me something. And we become deluded and blind to the fact that slowly over time, our heart is becoming harder and harder because I'm standing in my own self-righteousness. I'm a Christian. I prayed the prayer. I go to church. I'm not partying. I'm not drinking, I'm not doing this, I'm not doing that. And so God owes me something, life owes me something. And so for you, if you wanna see if, like, if this is going on in your life, think about what is the first thought that runs in your head when something bad happens to you? Do you think, God, why are you doing this to me? Why would you let this happen whenever I have given you this? Why would I lose my job when I've been tithing the past five years? I haven't missed a tithe. 
I would just let my car break down today. I haven't missed church in eight months. You owe me something somewhere. You may not say it with those words in your mind, but somewhere in the back of our head, we think that. But God, here's the good news. He's after your and my heart. And he will not let self-righteousness and a sense of uh, entitlement become vain idols or remain vain idols in our hearts. Because see, when Jonah, when God told Jonah to go and Jonah went the other way, it was no surprise to God. God knew exactly how Jonah would react. He was after his hard heart And the God who controls all and knows all sent his loving wrath and his ferocious grace to Jonah. The question is, how does God come after those vain idols in our hearts and destroy them? If you're here and you're like, you're like, yeah, I'm kind of going the other way. I, I'm not Jonah. I'm sort of Nineveh. I'm running the other way. I'm worshiping other gods. What, what is going on? What is God going to do to you, in you, in your heart? How is he pursuing your heart? How is he going to change it? And if you're a believer this morning and, you're, and you're, like, you're like me, like, hey, I am Jonah, how does God change our hearts? Because what we see in this prayer in chapter 2 is God is doing surgery into Jonah's heart and it's changing And here's the first thing that happens. Here's the first thing that happened for Jonah. Jonah saw his sin. Verse four. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea. I'm sorry, this is back in, yeah. The wrong verse there, I'm sorry. There was a mighty tempest on the sea that the ship threatened to break up. That's back in the last chapter. But but they said to him, what shall we do to him? Verse 11 of chapter one. What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? And the sea, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous. And he said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Jonah finally at this moment in the midst of the storm that God sent after him, finally he woke up, he saw, I, I am not right in this. I am sinning against God. I wonder how many of us, we just think about certain areas in our life that are in disobedience to God as just sort of like, hey, that's just, this is just the way I am. Or it's just the, it's just the, like the, the family that I come from, or it's my background. This is just the way that I'm wired. Hey, if, this is because I've been through these certain things. This is the why I'm reacting this way. And Jonah, at this very moment, when the storm comes after him, when God sends a powerful storm after him, all of a sudden he sees, like, this isn't just a preference. It's just not that I just don't want to do this today, God. I don't want to go to Nineveh. Maybe go find somebody else. All of a sudden he saw not only the sin of running the opposite direction, but he began to see the sin in his heart, that he was opposed to God. He was proud 
against God, and he had self-righteousness that he thought God owed him something. God will send storms into your life and my life that will shake us and rock us to the core. And it's, it may be wrath, but it is loving wrath. You know where the best place for Jonah to be at this moment was? In the middle of that storm. Because if he was not in the middle of that storm, if God had left him alone in Israel and hadn't commanded him to go to the city of Nineveh, he would not have seen his own sin as odious as God saw it. God saw the sin in his heart, the idols that he was worshiping in his heart, as odious enough that he was coming after it with a storm. And it woke him up. And you may have been in and are now or going into a storm in life. I mentioned this in my grandfather's funeral. No matter where you are in life, no matter who you are in life today, you are either in suffering, coming out of suffering, or going into suffering. That's just the way this world works. I'm sorry, young people. That's just the way that it is. But God uses the storms in life to expose to us the sin and the idols that we have been trusting in and serving and worshiping other than him. He was sleeping in the bottom of the boat, and sometimes we like to sleep through those storms. And when the chips are down and life is hard and we're suffering and we're struggling, we'll try to find anything that will numb the pain, anything that will distract us. And we have today a million ways to do that. You carry it in your pocket. You can go anywhere, see anything, communicate with people. You never have to be alone. It never has to be quiet. You never have to be not communicating with somebody. But God will come after you, your heart, and rock the boat so hard that you can no longer sleep. And even those who do not worship him around you will suddenly wake you up the way the shipmates did for Jonah on the boat. The storm is a blessing for you and me if it serves the purpose in your life that you see the sin in your heart, the vain idols that you're worshiping, which, by the way, is the core of every sin that you have. Every sin that you and I have, it's not just that you like to gossip or... uh, you know, you like to sleep around, or you don't like to be alone, or you really like money, or, you know, whatever the case, it's not those things, it's the core underneath those things that you are worshiping something other than God. Every sin problem that you and I have is actually a worship problem. And that's why he's coming after our worship. Jonah saw his sin and began to see how serious God saw it. And this morning, I wonder, do you and I see our sin the way that he sees it? Are we weighed down with a sense that if you're a believer here this morning, the God that you love and worship, with your mouth, we worship all kinds of empty and vain gods that God himself described are like empty cisterns. Cups 
in the desert that have no water, that can return no life to you. We chase after empty, vain idols. Jonah saw his sin, and this morning, the question is, do we see our sin? And then we see in the prayer, the second thing that happened was Jonah felt his need. Think about it. Jonah's in the ship. All of a sudden, the choice looks like for Jonah, death or death. The storm is terrible. It's gonna pull this ship under and I can die here and take these sailors down with me or they can throw me overboard and I can die and maybe God will spare them and they'll live, which is exactly what happened. All of a sudden, he was at the end of his rope. When God commanded him to go to Nineveh, he said, I will take this in my own hands. I'm gonna go the opposite direction. And either in a moment of temporary insanity or just outright rebellion, he went the opposite way, thinking for some reason that God wouldn't be there and wouldn't know and wouldn't be in charge or maybe he just wouldn't care. But in this moment, in the midst of the storm, think about this, the feeling that he would have as the sailors picked him up, crying out to a God that they had never spoken to before, never worshiped before, crying out to this God who was, they were seeing his might and power in the wind and waves, and they picked him up in their hands and heaved him over the side of the boat to certain death. Think about what would be going through Jonah's mind as he's in their arms and he's going over the side and he falls into that cold water and is sinking down beneath the waves and it's closing in on him, all of a sudden, Jonah felt his need for God. Jonah 1, 2, 1. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you in your holy temple. Can you imagine what kind of praying was going on in his mind? I mean, he can't pray with his mouth because he's going under the water. He's now sinking, sinking, sinking down beneath the waves. He would start off being tossed back and forth on the surface, right, and then slowly sinking down as he couldn't, couldn't swim anymore, couldn't stay up anymore. It's got to be an agonizing, terrifying feeling. I, I'm, I'm dating myself. I remember being a little kid watching an episode of Magnum P.I. Anybody remember him? You know, short shorts and the big mustache. And he lived in Hawaii and like, he was out like kayaking in the middle of the ocean, which is a terrible decision to begin with, in my, in my opinion, out kayaking in the middle of the ocean. And then I think something happened and he fell over and he, he had to tread water for like, I forget how long, it was like 12 hours he had to tread water until safety, until help came. Can you imagine that terrifying feeling as the wind and waves are tossing and finally you can't stay on top anymore and you're sinking down. All of a sudden, Jonah felt the intense need that he had had the whole time. All of a sudden, his self-sufficiency and his self-righteousness, not only has he already seen the sin that God was coming after, but he saw his need for him. He was undone at that moment. He had no options, no outs, no other way to go. If he was going to be saved at this moment, it was gonna be sheerly by a miraculous move of God on his behalf. And I wonder this morning if you feel your need for him. 
I wonder at this very moment, are you aware of your absolute and utter need for the God who made you? Not only to uphold you by his power, but to live as a human being with a, a sense of, of identity and value that's not falling apart every time something bad happens to you. To have a sense of security and identity that isn't shaped by your performance at school or your performance at work or how many zeros are on your paycheck or the accolades of the people around you or how many people like swipe is it swipe left or right? I don't know. Who's, who swipe left or right on you or like your posts or what, whatever it is that you and I base our sense of identity and value on. I wonder if you are at this moment aware of your need for him. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you in your holy temple. See, you and I will never experience the change of heart, the turning away of our heart, because we can't turn ourselves away from those worshiping those vain idols. That worship has to be superseded by something greater. This is the same way, like, you, uh, you know how like, you can't fall out of love with somebody? You ever tried to do that? You've been in love with somebody, and it goes south, and you're, like, you still love them, and you can't stop loving them? You have to end up loving something else? That's the way worship is. That worship has to be torn away from vain idols to him. And you, that worship will never be torn away from the vain idols that you and I are worshiping until you see your sin for its power, its depth, its hatefulness that God sees it. You feel your need for him. And the last thing that happened to Jonah is Jonah was overwhelmed with the cost. Look at this interesting wording in Jonah 2, 7 through 9. When my life was fading away, He's down, sinking down below. When my life was fading away, I remembered the Lord. What does it mean, remember the Lord? It's kind of an interesting wording. He hasn't forgotten him at this point, right? I mean, he's having a personal one-on-one, face-to-face encounter with the power of the God who created the universe. He hasn't forgotten him, but he's saying he remembered him. He remembered something about him. And my prayer came to you in your holy temple. It's interesting that he would reference the temple here because he's far away from the temple. And then this is interesting wording as well. Verse eight, those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. Verse nine, but I with a voice of thanksgiving will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. All of a sudden, as he realized his own personal lineage as being a Jew or his righteous deeds were not enough, he saw that there was a need for the payment of, his, of a cost that he could not personally pay. That's why he's talking about the temple and sacrifice. All of a sudden, he knew that, that though my sins are odious to you and I, have, I, have, I am utterly undone, I have no power to help myself or save myself, I am since my total and utter need for you. He's like, at that moment, like, the only option would be left to would be to die unless God would do something 
that he couldn't do himself. Unless God would pay the cost for him that he could not pay himself. He's trusting in the future payment of something that he could not pay. And this is what God has done and is doing in your life. In the storms, in your weaknesses, it's only when you see your sin in its depth and you see your deep need and the cost, when all those three converge together for you, when you see your sin as odious as it is, when you see your deep need for him, and then you see the amazing cost that had to be paid, and you're overwhelmed by that cost, then change happens. Then worship can be torn away from vain and empty idols to worship the one true God. Do you see it? There may be storms and you feel like you're going under. But there is one who is mighty enough to command the storm. Think about it. Jesus stood on a boat in a similar circumstance on the sea when the wind and waves were tossing back and forth and his disciples thought they were going to die. And he spoke to the wind and the waves and it stopped. And they, the disciples on the boat said, who is this man that the wind and waves obey him? There is one who can command the wind and waves and yet was willing to bear the brunt of your storm for you. There is one who saw your need and knew that you deserved what you had coming to you. Yet he was put under for you. See, Jonah found rescue, an unlikely rescue. It's a ferocious grace in the mouth of a fish, in the belly of a fish because there would be one who would come after him who would go down into the grave for three days as he was in the belly of the fish for three days and pay the penalty that Jonah could not pay. It was an enormous cost that had to be paid. And it's only when you see your sin, you see your need, you feel your need, and you are overwhelmed by the cost that was paid for you, that change will happen. This is a momentous change for those of us who, like the Ninevites and Jonah, have been chasing and worshiping after empty idols. And maybe you're here this morning, and you say, I have been worshiping everything other than the God that you're talking about. Maybe you came in aware or maybe you've just become aware in the past few moments that you are undone. There are no other options for you. Your sin is odious in his sight. He is coming after you with a ferocious grace and a loving wrath. And yet you see the overwhelming cost that was paid on your behalf by Jesus Christ. I urge you this morning Bow your knee to him. Confess him as Lord and accept the payment that he made 
on your behalf. Do not run any longer through the storm. Because for you, just as for Jonah, the safest place was the storm than the belly of the fish. And for those of you who are believers here this morning, This is a continual process that God continues to work deeper and deeper in your heart. He's coming after the idols that remain in your and my heart. And it's never done. That's part of the interesting part of the story is Jonah has this amazing experience here. And yet, two chapters from now, he's going to be complaining again. That's because God, he never he never comes after the idols and then like you live like he destroys them and then you live a life of perfection. You and I are constantly finding new things to worship, new baubles and gadgets and people to think are worth worshiping and building our lives around other than the God who made you and me. But he will bring the storm and he will remind you of your need and your sin and you will see afresh and anew his overwhelming cost that was paid for you and me. And he will destroy the idols continually in our heart. Maybe God is speaking to you this morning. I can tell you for certain one thing that's happening to every person that's in this room is God is pursuing your heart with a loving wrath that will not abide empty and worthless idols, and he's coming with a ferocious grace that may feel hellacious at the time, like the storm did and the belly of the fish did, but it's only through those things that he will destroy those vain idols and restore you to worship the God who you created for, who loves you, and gave himself for you. Let's pray. Father, as we prepare our hearts for communion, I pray for each person in this room. I don't know what's going on in each of our lives. God, I pray that you would meet each person in this room right where they are, that you would expose the empty and vain idols that we continue to worship, that we continue to build our lives around, that we continue to to, to laud and to celebrate instead of you. And I pray that we would be undone this morning, afresh and anew, some of us for the first time, at our sin, the enormity of it, that we would see it in our need for you, that we would feel that, and that we would be overwhelmed by the grace that you have shown to us. by taking it all for us. God, we may go through the storm, but you bore the brunt of it for us. We may be feeling like we're falling under and the waves are crashing over us and the water is around us and we're suffocating. But you took death for us that we might experience life anew In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Doxa Church. We are so glad that you took the time to join us today. At Doxa, we exist to make disciples who joyfully worship Jesus with their whole lives. We invite you to join us. 
Doxa Church meets at 10 a.m. every Sunday at River Oaks Elementary School. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org.